train your go-getters to manage their way up through the organization and also make those people managers who then are going to promote other people like themselves. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters, and I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest and guest host is here. How are you doing, Holly? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. I was just out chainsawing down some trees that fell in front of the driveway of my brother's place. Got tired out, but, you know, it's good to get a little exercise in the morning, go out, chainsaw and haul wood around for a couple hours, I think. <laughs> it's a very different contrast to what you do in real life online, huh? <laughs> yeah, on a normal day, I do a lot of typing. So let me ask you this before we get started. We're going to talk about my book, but you just published a book yourself recently. So why don't you give us just a quick intro of yourself and your book? Sure. So this is Holly Jean Jackson. I'm a holistic business coach and marketing consultant. Work with people that are running health and wellness businesses on scaling their business to the next level without burnout and without overwhelm. The book I just published is called Inspiration Contagion, Health Secrets for Raving Success. And actually, it's almost exactly three months since publication date, which is pretty cool. I have two days away from that. And it's been going really well. It's been interesting. Lots of new lessons learned, but people seem to really enjoy the book. I've got about 31 reviews on Amazon and it was bestseller in three different categories the first week we launched. Nice. So my book is How We've Always Done It. And you did the review for the back cover of my book and I did the review for the back cover of your book, which is kind of interesting. I think... Being an author is something a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about it. I know that this is your first book, right? Yes, my first self-published book, yeah. <laughs> right, your first self-published book, I should say. Do you feel different now that you're considered like officially as as an author? Uh, that's a good question. So I think it's still taking some time to sink in. So for example, when I come across friends or people that ask me to sign the book in real life. It's just like, oh, this, this really happened. And I will say it's opened some new doors and new opportunities for things. Um, I'm going to be on a call later this week for being a potential speaker at a TEDx event in North Carolina. So that's really exciting. I don't think that would have been available to me without publishing the book. And it's uh, been opening doors in lots of new, interesting ways. But no, I don't feel that different. It, it's kind of just taking time for it to sink in. Yeah, I think maybe not feeling different yourself as a person, except maybe, you know, a little more accomplished, right? Because you've done something that's a pretty big milestone, right? In, in everybody's life who writes a book. I think the thing about people asking you to sign the book is always a little weird. You're like, I'm not famous person. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the reason that I had you on the show again, I know we had you on just a couple months ago, but we're kind of doing the uh, the old switcheroo here and you are going to be the guest host today and you're going to interview me about my new book. Yes, yes. And if we were on our live stream show, this is where I'd put on my professional glasses to prepare Matt. <laughs> 
Should I put my serious glasses on? I have them here. You you should put your serious glasses on. Everybody can imagine my blue rimmed serious glasses. <laughs> All right. So um, I read Matt's book, obviously, because I gave him a review for the back cover before it was live. And wow, just some really interesting nuggets of wisdom throughout. But the first place I want to start is... You know, you talk about apathy and complacency and old habits that are dragging people's businesses down and how to fix them. So if you shared maybe one or two ninja tips for the audience today on weeding out tomatoes, bad tomatoes in their organization, what would your one or two pro tips be based on the book? I think that the biggest problem and and what people have messaged me about after having read the book or, you know, while they're reading the book is they say, oh, my God, Matt, this is the company that I work at. There are, in some cases, entire departments of their company that they say are made up of coasters, which I'll put in quotes, right? Coasters. They are people who are coasting. They're either on past success They have a process that they've been using for 20 years and they still do the same thing at work every day. They are never doing anything new. They're never going out of their way to help anybody extra. They're just coasting along, collecting checks, putting their time in kind of thing. And what happens is the go-getters, the people who are out there who are going to do the hard work and come up with the big ideas and, you know, save that that client relationship and all of those kind of things that you want – they get frustrated by having a company full of coasters, right? And they leave, especially right now, because as we all know, there is a shortage of workers in almost every single industry, especially in industries like technology, sciences, engineering, all of these kind of high end skills that we want and soft skills industries as well, right? Those people are in high demand, So if you have a company that lets people coast on their laurels or, you know, sit back and let other people do their work, then the people who do the work are going to leave because they can go out and get a better job for more money right now. So I think that's number one is you can't let it go on. Right. Something has to give. You've got to stop it. And I think the second one and. This is kind of a hard one for people, and it's that a lot of times people will stop themselves from doing things because they're trying to hide some kind of truth from themselves. And let me explain that for a second. So inaction is a way for people to hide beliefs or limiting beliefs or things that they know are happening, but they don't want to admit. A good example would be an industry that's in decline and you know it's in decline and you're trying to make excuses of why you shouldn't pivot your business or change it to keep up with the times because it's comforting to do the same thing you've always done before right but it also could be I don't know if I'm good enough to, you know, accomplish more or to be more successful or to get a bigger organization So that problem comes in where people are hiding from, you know, one of the things that I just said. But so this is the reason why they're complacent, right? They're complacent 
because they don't want to admit that there's something wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, those are two really big ones. And both of them are reminders that we need to be taking action to prevent our business from going into decline or becoming unusable to the market because you have so many coasters or complacent individuals or even apathetic individuals at that point. So really, really great points. Before we get into old habits, I'd like to see if you know you, you were to give the two solutions, the top two solutions for how to fix these two big problems in organizations, what would be one or two ninja tips you'd share with listeners today? Well, I think it's going to depend on the size of the organization. But in a lot of companies, you have problems where the go-getters in the organization are not promoted because the it's, it benefits the person who does the promoting to not promote people who do a good job. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think everybody's seen it, right? It's the way people fail up through companies. And it actually has a name. It's called the Peter Principle. And what it is is that eventually as people of mediocre talent get promoted through an organization, they get to a point where they're in over their head and they really can't do the job that that they've kind of been promoted to. And then you get this heavy middle management failure in larger organizations. And what you need to do is to essentially reward innovation in your company and train your go-getters to manage their way up through the organization and also make those people managers who then are going to promote other people like themselves. And I mean, this is a large organizational change that would be very difficult to do. I don't want to get into, you know, the entire thing about organizational change. There's a million other books about that. But you have to recognize that this happens, right? So I'll give you a perfect example. My wife worked as a corporate trainer for a large international corporation. And the manager, uh, her direct manager... His bonuses were based on partially on the amount of work that she got done. And she was the best of the best. So there is no way he was ever going to promote her because as soon as he promoted her, somebody else would have to come up and he would stop getting bonuses. So she was passed over for promotion over and over and over again. And in the end, she left. And it's obvious. Why would you stay? You're never going to get promoted. You're never going to go anywhere. Right. That company now has lost that person who not only was the best at what they do in their company, was the one who was training everyone else on what to do in the company and how to be good at it, and was the top go-getter in that part of their industry. And she left, right? So I think you need to have a way to recognize the go-getters in your company and to be able to find those people and suggest or, you know, help get them promoted through your company so that they don't get stuck in that kind of Peter principle, right? Where people are failing upward. Now, another one, and this is a super easy one to fix. If you identify people in your company who are complacent, apathetic, and you go through and you put some strategies in in place to help those people, and it's not a temporary thing, we're not talking about People who have medical depression or something like that. Yes, you should help those people, of course, right? But 
if somebody is apathetic because of a medical condition, right, you need to have them seek medical attention. You're not going to change them with changing some policies and stuff, right? But if you have people who are just straight up complacent, apathetic, they don't want to be there anymore. They want other people to do their work. They're lazy or they're whatever, right? You need to do the things that you can do in reason to try and get them back on board and get everybody back rowing the same direction. Otherwise, your boat's never going to go anywhere, right? And if you can't, you need to get rid of them. And that's a tough thing, right? Especially with people, the longer that someone's been at your company, the more likely they are to be doing things the way they've always done it and to be avoiding excess work, to be complacent, to be lazy. In, in generally speaking, I mean, you got some people who stay at companies for a long time and still do great work. But a lot of times the people who've been with you longer are more likely to be complacent. So it's harder to get rid of them. So you want to do everything you can to try and help those people get back on the same page. And you want them to assist you in making their own job and purpose better. And if they refuse and you've done what you can do to try and fix the problem, they need to get rid of them. I know that's tough in a market like this where you're like, well, who am I going to get to do the work? You're going to have to weigh that and say, is this person really productive to the company or is this person making the problems that our company has worse? Yeah. Well, and this is, it does. And this is like very, very tricky and complicated to some degree because, you know, evaluating your incentive programs at an organization is part of the solution, right? Because sometimes incentive programs like you gave with that example where your wife worked actually create more of the problem. So I think it's leaders evaluating incentive programs to make sure it's not creating the Peter effect, make sure it's actually incentivizing employees to prevent apathy, complacency, and old habits. But the other thing I would say, the other caveat is I've been at organizations because I came from corporate that have these innovation programs. And it's oftentimes innovation for the sake of innovation in a way that's actually creating more apathy, complacency, and coasters because you've got a few go-getters leading these teams and sadly, it just doesn't work out. So I think you have to really do a deep dive on how you're going to correct the ship if you're in a leadership role, especially if your organization is large because it takes longer to make that pivot. So just want to throw that out there. There's something you mentioned there that I think we should clarify a bit. And I think what happens is this gets lost in the shuffle a lot. There should be a pretty distinct line between R&D and innovation. If you are going to say to your staff who already have positions in the company that are not R&D positions, innovating for them is finding a better way to do what they do or finding a way to make a better experience for the customer, finding ways to be more productive, finding ways to improve the supply chain, right? Any of those things can be even tiny fractional changes, right? Like if you're doing a thousand units a year and somebody finds a way to save 10 bucks, we well, save 10 grand, right? That's, that's an innovation, right? But you shouldn't be taking your staff who, you know, have the regular day-to-day duties and making like an innovation group and be like, all right, come up with the next big product for our company. That is completely out of the wheelhouse of the people that they're putting there. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, most of these innovation programs are depending on where these people work in departments. So it, it's not just R&D, but agreed. But my point was just think carefully about how you create those and that it's actually helping you build 
leaders and employees that are excited and incentivized and invested in what you're doing versus actually amplifying the existing problem of like, oh, we've got coasters on these teams that are getting bonuses from this innovation program, but they're not doing work. So one of the things that I love that you write about in the book that I think is a little easier for people to implement, even on an individual basis, are habit changes. So there are some old habits that people are probably not fully aware or convinced that are dragging them down personally, as well as in their business. And one of my favorites that I was kind of like, uh, maybe it's bad, but I'm not sure how bad it is, was the addiction we have to notifications. So do you want to share a bit more on that? It's 100% true. Everybody's addicted to notifications. And I'll tell you why. They're a slot machine, right? Notification comes up and you're like, eh, don't care. Another one comes up, don't care. Another one comes up, eh, it's spam email, whatever, right? Notifications are constantly hitting you from your phone, but once in a while, they're really good, right? It's that person, you know, texting you for that second date or something happened great to your friend or Janet just had her baby or, you know, whatever, right? So you get a dopamine hit when something great happens in a notification, And everything else is the expectation that you could get that awesome thing. And so every time you get a notification, it's breaking your concentration on your task at hand. And what happens is there's a switching cost, right? Every time you have to switch your attention, it takes you a little bit more time to get back to what you're doing or it takes you out of the flow of what you're doing, right? Especially in creative tasks. And all of that adds up quite quickly, And it gets to the point that, you know, you're just taking yourself out of the work that you're doing, but also often it will drive you down these rabbit holes. So you'll get a notification that Janet just had her baby and there's a picture on Facebook. So you go to Facebook and you look at it and then you see something else and you see something else and then you wake up and 20 minutes later has gone by and you don't know what you've been doing for the last 20 minutes, right? It's because you've been scrolling like a slot machine on Facebook too, right? Thumb scrolling or Instagram or watching TikTok videos or whatever it is, right? So it's absolutely vital that you turn off every notification that is not an emergency. Another thing that you can do is you put your phone on do not disturb mode if you're doing something super important. I like to do that also. But a lot of times I just leave my phone in a different room. You know, I just leave it outside my office if I'm going to go do something. And one thing that we talk about is kind of when you get rid of all those notifications and stuff and you kind of fix your scheduling and block time and and all these things that can help you just be a little bit more productive. Now you got time to make for super thinking time. And that was something that I got from you. Do you want to explain what super thinking time is? Sure. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I have to say when I went through the challenge of removing notifications, the first week was really difficult. I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Where is this? And then after that, once you get past that hump of realizing, wow, I'm really addicted to this, you actually feel so much more peaceful and calm and happy. And it gives you so much more freedom. So one, I want to challenge you to do that. Two, once you do this, it gives you space for super thinking. So when I work with entrepreneurs and business owners, one of their challenges is getting lost in the day-to-day duties of running their business. And they're oftentimes also the visionary for their company, especially if they're solopreneurs. And so super thinking is really important because it's taking at least an hour or two a week and removing 
all distractions, not being even plugged into technology, but just sitting in a quiet space and thinking about your business, thinking about the problems you're seeing in your business, thinking about where you want to go in the future, not from an administrative perspective, but from a long-term perspective of, are we going in the right direction? What do I need to be focusing on to make things better for my customers? Working on the business, the big things, the visionary things, and getting those ideas on paper, not in through technology, but actually just physically writing down what comes up in that session. And then once you complete that session, figuring out ways you can start taking action and implementing that so that you can uplevel your business to the next level. That's right. A big part of the eighth chapter in my book about time management, it's the the fact that something that is urgent is not the same as being important. So super thinking time is distraction free, comfortable, relaxing time to let your mind focus on the important. And the important is not the urgent, right? We're talking about long term thinking, like something just like this podcast came out of me taking time aside to think about what is going to be something over the long term that can positively affect our company. And it has. I've met countless people from the podcast and thinking about not just like I should make a podcast so I can get more customers, right? That's not really super thinking time, right? That's anybody can think that up, right? But it was thinking about more deeply like, like, who do I want to talk to? What's important to people in my industry? What's important to me? You know, what are the what do I want out of the long term? Right. And the long term idea was that, you know what, I want to meet interesting, similar minded people who are, you know, go getters and and they have ideas on how to be better at marketing or more productive or better at sales or, you know, all of these things that we can do because there's thousands of brilliant people out there. And uh, if I get them to come on the podcast, I get to talk to them. So that, you know, came out of this super thinking time. Was it urgent? No. Was there a lot of other things that I could be doing? Absolutely. But I don't think any of them had the impact like this had, right? Yeah, agreed. I think if you take one thing away from what we're talking about today, that would be one of them is having time for super thinking about your life and your business distraction free because your best ideas come from that. And then you'll be able to take more thoughtful action and reduce urgency in your life because you're thinking long term. Absolutely. Holly, if people want to get your book, Inspiration Contagion, where can they get it? Yeah, you can find me at my website at hollyjeanjackson.com. It has information on the book as well as just go to Amazon and it's available in Kindle format as well as paperback. Just search for Inspiration Contagion. Perfect. And How We've Always Done It by Matthew Rouse is available on Amazon as well as Apple Books, Google Play Books, Indigo, Chapters, a bunch of other places. It is only ebook right now, but the print book is coming soon as well as the audio book. Holly? Thanks so much for coming on the show to co-host with me today. Yeah, thank you for writing it. It was a really great read. I hope people buy copies and start getting rid of the coasters and transforming their businesses. Nice. Yeah, your book's great too. Everybody go get it. Inspiration Contagion. It's on Amazon. Read it. Thanks, Ollie. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. 
This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.